Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. Today's guest is Hiba Jaber. Hiba is a structural engineer and has been working in the field for the past five years. In addition, she holds a PhD in engineering from Princeton University and has worked as a professor at AUD where she used her knowledge and experience to teach and help others on their journey to becoming engineers. During this episode, we discuss her journey and motivation to get a PhD and the differences between work experience and further study. We talk about how engineers think and why it's such an attractive quality to many industries. And lastly, how it's never too late to make a change. And the last message she wanted to share is life is not as predictable as you think. Always trust your instincts and follow that gut feeling. Please welcome to the show, Miss Hiba Jabit. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming. So Hiba, for the people who don't know me and you met um, about, I think, a month ago now. I think so, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, we were on a panel at AUD with Sarah, who I had on recently as well. And I remember as we were just waiting around to like start the panel, me and you were already deep in like conversation about this <laughs> and about that. The life and like <laughs> <Yeah>. self-improvement. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we had a really good vibe. There was good chemistry there. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, and then I'm like, so the, the chemistry is there. So it's great. But I also thought I'm like, what Hiba does is quite different to what I know and mm -hmm. what the experiences I've had and the people I've spoken to. Um, so I thought putting those two together and having you on the show would be amazing. And so I'm really, really looking forward to this. Um, but before we get into everything, Hiba, why don't you give all of us a little bit of background about yourself and we'll take it from there. Okay, so um, as you mentioned, uh, my name is Hiba. I work as an engineer in Dubai. I got my bachelor's degree from AUD in 2012 and we actually never crossed paths, which is kind of weird yeah, given actually, how small AUD is. Yeah, yeah. But you're in e-building probably. <laughs> yes, why. I yeah. was in e-building most of the time. <laughs> so I graduated in 2012. I moved to the US. I did my master's and PhD. So I was there for five years at Princeton University, got my PhD in civil engineering, and I moved back here. I've been working in structural design at uh, fa our family business. So we have an engineering company that's been around for about 16 years now. Oh, wow. Okay, and, Yeah, way longer than I've been there. <laughs> so I've been working there for five years now. And yeah, and that's basically what I do. Okay. I'm a structural engineer. Structural engineer. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, I remember when... We were talking and you told me like, yeah, I got a PhD in engineering. That's not something I hear every day and that's not something many people do, Aslan. So I'm curious, like just to go back to the beginning, what was your motivation to even go into engineering? Was it something that you've always wanted to do or did you, is it just that you like the subjects and like you're, like you're good at math, you're good at the physics, you're good at yeah, all that? Yeah, so I grew up, my dad is an engineer. So I grew up going to construction sites and the like. You know, this is what my dad did in his free time and he still does, but I just don't <laughs> go with him anymore. But uh, so I grew up going to the construction sites all yeah. the time. And it was kind of what I had envisioned myself doing just because it's the only thing I knew at the time. Okay. But then like, you said I mean it did correlate with my interests at school because the subjects I was doing best at were math physics I did really enjoy them and I did really enjoy learning about them even outside of the classroom yeah. so I was the kind of student who wanted to do like you know more problems in physics and which you don't get very often <laughs> no, I know. No, that definitely wasn't me <laughs> so that was what I was most interested in compared to like biology and chemistry those never really piqued my interest neither was I mean I got more into reading after school but like in high school I didn't really enjoy literature and these kind of subjects so it was kind of confusing fine to math and physics yeah. and given that civil engineering was what I grew up seeing and you know with the boom in Dubai you're also talking about graduating here like kind of right around the recession but before the recession yeah, yeah and so the construction boom here was like at its height and so engineering seemed like exactly what you want to be doing here and 
so I got into civil engineering. I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do within civil engineering, but yeah. it was exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so even though my parents were not entirely supportive at the time, because they didn't feel like it was the right field for a woman, that I was going to have a hard time, especially in the region. And they kind of wanted to shield me away from that. Like, let's do something that's like more female friendly in, sure. in this region. Yeah, but yeah. stubborn as I am, I was like, because you said that, I'm going to prove to you that I can do it. But yeah, I've, yeah, so I wanted to do it just because everyone said you can't do it as a female. And I was like, why not? And so I started out in civil engineering. Everything was going well. My first year did the general topics, math, physics. And then I got into this one course, statics. I think we talked about we that. We did. Yes, we did. <laughs> and it was exactly about how to make things stand, like how to make sure mm -hmm. that things are in equilibrium, things are standing. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. I think I was the only one in that class who was like mind blown. You know, <laughs> other people, you know, wanted to get good grades and whatever, but no one else was like, wow, this is amazing mm. and so then as I did a bit more research and talked to the professors I realized that structural engineering is then exactly what I would want to do yeah and then I got on the onto that path mm. so when I did my electives at AUD I picked ones that were more um, in line with structural engineering and then so, so I started thinking about graduate school because particularly for structural design uh, we don't do a lot of courses in the gen general civil engineering degree. So engineer civil engineering has five subfields. Okay. And structural engineering is only one of those. And among the classes that you take, all the engineering classes, you kind of have to take them spread out across these five different areas. Yeah. But structural mm -hmm. engineering was the only one I was interested in. Okay. And so when you do your electives, you can do like two or three electives in that area and that's it. So it kind of prepares you to start working, but it's not enough to really be designing buildings. So particularly for structural design, people usually go for a master's degree. Oh, interesting. That That's like a common thing that people it, typically, it if you want to go into thing. that, like, yes, that okay. exactly. Because you kind of get like the uh, initial background in these courses, like you do a course in concrete design and you do a course in steel design, but these are very basic. They're very preliminary design. You cannot really design an entire building with only that knowledge. You can pick up things as you start working, but generally speaking, you kind of need more technical knowledge before you get into that. And okay. so I started thinking about master's programs towards the end of my third year, which is when I would need to start applying the following fall. And so I I was determined to go to grad school. So I made a list of the top schools I wanted to go to. And I applied to 10 schools, which you can imagine. Applying to 10 schools it was, was a like a full-time job, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Especially because, you know, you want to make sure you get in. So you're sitting there writing your statement of purpose, polishing it for every school, uh, working on like your extracurriculars and all these things. And so that's uh, when I applied to these programs. I got into nine out of the 10 programs. And wow, then, well yeah. done, <laughs> mashallah, well done, that's awesome. Yeah, so then I went on to graduate school afterwards. Gotcha, okay. Hmm. Um, I think it makes, listening to your story, I think it makes uh, a lot of sense that you ended up in engineering given like your dad's an engineer and the experiences <laughs> you had growing up. So, and the sub you were good at the subjects that fit that field. So it kind of feels like a natural fit. So it's interesting because Growing up, I was pretty. I was similar to you in the sense that, dad, my dad was my dad's a civil engineer. Of oh, that's cool. Of okay. course, you know, <laughs> Palestinian dads. Of course, everyone's gonna be a civil engineer. Either uh, that or a doctor. Yeah, there are yeah. No other Otherwise, it's unacceptable. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, and so growing up, I I was also like maths and physics and all that kind of stuff. That's why I was better at than like reading and English and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So. It was a natural fit. It kind of felt like probably how you felt to go yeah. into engineering. And then when I got into engineering and you mentioned statics, um, it's interesting that you looked at statics and you're like, 
wow like this is mind blowing whatever <laughs> and i looked at statics i'm like oh this is not for me at all okay okay i think that's a more common experience than mine yeah, so I, don't feel bad yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i just what i realized is growing up i think maybe you had a similar experience for in your example it worked out though so it's kind of, it's a bit different mm-hmm. mine I, i had this belief the whole time engineer 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 and kind of like what you just said that mindset that you know a lot of people must have had at some point like if it's not an engineer you know what are you going to do you're just going to be a yeah. businessman yeah. like, <laughs> as if that's any oh it's a disaster um and so i never thought about what else would i want to do because my whole life i was just geared like you know towards that tunnel vision right yeah, like, ton- it, literally yeah. it's tunnel vision i never thought of like all oh, these other options there's other things that you know i might like so obviously i transitioned into business by the mm-hmm. finance because it's all numbers so that's what i like as well um but i realized when it comes to a profession this was my experience at least um it's not about ability mm-hmm. you know it's not about can you do the work it's more about do you have the discipline to put in the amount of work it needs to be successful in this profession so as an engineer as a doctor as a lawyer you're like you really have at least this is my my perspective maybe you feel differently but i i feel you really have to love it to put in the work to be successful at it i didn't love it mm. i was good at the subjects okay it's something that i always thought i wanted to do but i was never like i know myself and i realized that's why i switched at the end because i'm like i'm never going to put in enough work that you need to be successful at this so what advice would you have So maybe people that are younger that are considering going into one of these kind of professions because maybe you go in and it's not what you thought it was but for example it's interesting because in your case it worked out in my case it didn't, it didn't so you yeah. get, we're getting both sides <laughs> of the story so what what would you say what do you think like this is what i learned at least okay so i think passion does play a part but i do think that in today's culture it's exaggerated because you see all these posts like on instagram the inspirational posts the that are like yeah, yeah like yeah. you know if you don't wake up every morning feeling like you're going on a date when you go to work then you shouldn't go and it's like yeah i mean you know <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna say nine out of ten times i don't feel like I'm going on a date. <laughs> yeah. So I do think that it's exaggerated, this feeling. And sometimes it can, it can make you feel like you're doing the wrong thing because there were times where I struggled with this idea, especially when I was in grad school. It does take a lot of work and energy. Yeah, of course. And then there are some days where I would wake up and be like, that's not what I want to do today. And like you said, that's when the discipline kicks in. But I do think you can train yourself to be disciplined. And I think it's you have to start young. I don't think you can suddenly become disciplined at 30, right? I mean, mm. someone once told me <laughs> that anything you haven't learned before 30, you can never learn after, <laughs> which is a very depressing thought. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but I do yeah, think... But so I get what they're too. saying, yeah. but I agree with you, yeah. I think there are certain habits. Like I feel... For example, I was the kind of student who didn't feel very challenged in high school. So I never really developed any study habits. I was kind of coasting by. I was doing really well. So I never felt the need to do anything more. But there were certain subjects I was curious about. Even as a kid, I was the kind of kid who was curious. And, you know, at the time, it wasn't easy to do research. And, you know, Google didn't exist. (laughs) So even like researching things, you had to like take out a book from the The library library. and do all of that. So I only did that for things I was very interested in. But then I wasn't very good at doing things I was wasn't interested in like you said but now I find myself I mean I enjoy the subject matter of what I do 
but I do spend about maybe 30, 40% of my day, sometimes my entire day doing things I don't feel like doing, you know, like administrative work, or I don't feel like sending this email or sitting through this meeting, (laughs) and you do it anyway, because you can't only do the things that you like. So I think my advice would be to learn how to be disciplined. Whatever you put your mind to, if you decide to start working out, learn to discipline yourself to do that every day. Mm. If you decide that you want to pursue something, learn to do it to the very end, to not quit. I had a similar experience when I went to, uh, when I started grad school, actually, and maybe we'll talk about that a little more later. But when I first started out, I was very homesick, which is, you know, a typical Yeah, you mentioned experience. that last time yeah, to me. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was depressed. I hated it. Mm. I didn't see what the point of doing something so difficult was, especially when it wasn't something that you had to do. I mean, it was something I wanted to do, but yeah, it was kind of kinda optional. Yeah, yeah. You can just always go back home and start working. Yep. And then I just sat there with myself one day and I was like, listen, we're going to do this. It's going to be the most miserable two years of your life, but you're going to do it. You're going to finish it. And you just have to. And when you when you kind of have, I know it seems kind of uh, maybe a little harsh to have that self-talk, but when you put your mind to something and you're just like, it's temporary, I'm just going to do this for the next two years. And this is kind of how I got through school, even, mm. you know, when it would get tough around final exams time and I didn't feel like studying or I had more interesting things to do. It was always like you have this one week, you only have to do this for a week and then afterwards you never have to worry about it. Yeah. And I think just learning how to push yourself through things that you don't feel like doing is very valuable. You can't expect your passion to kick in all the time. You can't expect to feel motivated all the time. It's just not human nature. Yeah. Do you, that's, uh, I totally agree with you that I think starting younger, number one, is a great idea. Mm-hmm. I, I know for myself, like, I did not have discipline when I was younger, and mm-hmm. it took me, like, into my late 20s to, to get it done and to get it right. Well, um, good for you for getting it done anyway. You know, yeah. at any age, you do get yeah, to that yeah, point. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I... Totally agree, with, totally agree with what you said because if you do it younger, it's a, whatever comes later is a lot easier because mm-hmm. you kind of know how to set yourself to do all that. Do you think, so, okay, you said passion is not enough, discipline is what is needed. So if we're going to compare the two, let's say, uh, let's have an example. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm back at university now. I'm doing engineering. I'm, dis- I'm disciplined. I'm putting in the work, but I'm realizing over time that like... I. I really don't like this or like I don't enjoy this. This mm-hmm. doesn't feel like what I would want to do, even though I'm doing well and good at it. So do you feel like discipline has a limit until you reach a point that it's either you're going to be your passion comes in and you continue or you realize now this is not for me and you leave? Um, maybe I I think maybe it's the other way around. Maybe passion precedes the discipline. So I think passion can get you started. So if you okay. like what you're doing okay. as, as a general subject matter, like I just look overall at what I'm doing sure. and I like it. But day by day, do I want to do it? Maybe not every day. Mm. So I think then discipline can get you through. But then if you're miserable doing it, I mean, you your discipline has to kick in some of the time. But if yeah. you have to force yourself to do it every day, then yeah. you kind of have to reevaluate, right? Exactly. Am I in the right field? Am I doing the right thing? Because it's also no way to spend life just miserable and forcing yourself to get through things. True. No, I 100% agree. And interesting how you flipped it the other way that it's yeah. pa- the passion is the the kickstart and mm-hmm. then the discipline is what carry carries you through um i i don't think there's a right or wrong i think both play the same in the same way but in different from different perspectives yeah because i do see the argument of the other way around right yeah. a lot of people argue that you know you start by being disciplined and then the passion will carry you through exactly i just think that as things get harder 
which is usually, you know, <laughs> not in the beginning, usually later on, yeah, then exactly. passion probably doesn't serve you as much. Yeah, fair. No, and that's fair. And I, I think you make a, I think you make a very good point. Um, I wanted to come on to the the Princeton experience, like mm-hmm. the PhD and the masters and so on. So, by the way, should we be calling you Doctor Hiba? I don't know what. The no, word is. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go by doctor. <laughs> But you are a doctor. Technically, yes. Technically yes. speaking, yes. Yeah, you put, okay, you have a PhD. You deserve it. You earned the doctor. I right. feel super awkward when people say that at work. You know, someone wants to introduce me and they're like, this is Dr. Hiba. I'm like, no, it's Hiba. <laughs> <laughs> there is no doctor. Um, okay, so, so we'll keep it Hiba. Then. Yeah. Um, doing a PhD is something that, um, this is my personal like thoughts and my perspective, is something that not only I have never considered, I've never personally understood like mm-hmm. the desire to do it because if i can correct me if i'm wrong because i know nothing about this um so basically if i understood you have to come up with a thesis and it's some is it something that has to be completely brand new that you're researching and testing and then at the end you get like is my does this idea is it plausible does it work or either it just you know doesn't work during that time so let's start just with what is it walk us through what is a paid a PhD basically so to get a PhD yeah. you have to do it's kind of split up into two parts okay. there is some coursework that you have to do kind of advanced coursework that mm-hmm. qualifies you to do that research and then there is your research aspect which is uh, the thesis that you have to compile at the end yeah. so what you're working on is basically this research project where you're either trying to do something new or to discover something new um, generally speaking, in engineering, you're not really discovering something new, so you're not really testing. You're testing if a method would work to make something better. So generally, okay. we're working okay. on improving, for example. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So in, on improving current techniques for whatever we are doing. So it does change for every field over time. So I think there was, for example, a time in the 60s, 70s, maybe even into the 90s, where in civil engineering and structural engineering, there were a lot of things that weren't understood. So we were mm. trying to understand material behavior because we were dealing with these things like for example concrete we have made concrete we just don't really know how it works under earthquakes so we do multiple experiments to verify whether it's this or that does it fail in this way or in that way Mm -hmm. but then for example the work that i did i was working on monitoring of structures so we put sensors on structures and we try to understand their behavior on that so i was working on the data analysis methods to understand the behavior because basically what I was getting is you put a sensor on there it gives you back data in the form of wavelength and then you have to understand how that change in wavelength over time correlates with how the structure is changing over time so I was working on data analysis methods to understand the behavior of the structure okay that's really interesting okay so talk to me about I've never heard a structure behaving in any way so (laughs) (laughs) so I'm curious when you're saying the behavior of the structure, what does what does that mean? Could you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, so uh, structures over time, uh, we have what we call stress and strain. So the structures see stress due to whatever load is on them, including their own weight. For example, if we're talking about a bridge, my research was on a bridge. Uh, the cars that go over the bridge, this was a pedestrian bridge, so it was just a human movement. So the pedestrians walking on the bridge impose a load on it that then makes the structure behave a certain way. So there will be elongations and certain part of the bridge there will be shortening in certain parts of the bridge Mm. and as long as everything is as expected we do design for that and so we expect a certain structural behavior and then when the data that we have tells us that something different is going on then we're like huh do we have a crack in the bridge somewhere and then where is that crack based on this information so the um kind of the overall goal of this the overarching goal was to be able to instrument every building and every structure with sensors so that 
in the event that there is a failure, we could get warning beforehand. Beforehand. So this idea kind of came about, this idea of structural health monitoring is what it's called, SHM. Kind of came okay. about about 20 years ago or so, but then the methods for data analysis haven't caught up. So people were expecting that you put a sensor and then there is, you know, a red light that comes on that says structure is failing or a yellow light that comes on like that says this is a warning. Like an alarm kind of thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but to get to that point, you kind of mm. need to understand what you're supposed to be seeing, what you're supposed to be measuring. So it kind of hasn't caught up in that uh, aspect yet, but there's a lot of research going on in that area right now. Okay, that's really, really, I've, okay, I've never, <clears throat> I never n even knew that, and I never knew about how, like, a structure changes and is supposed to act a certain way, and you can actually get an indication or data that tells you, like, is there a problem, or is it working as yeah, you expect yeah, it yeah. to work? Wasn't there what, I'm not sh sure, there was a bridge somewhere, and didn't, like, the army walk across it? And because they were walking, like, yeah, a certain yeah, way, they hit... There's a word for it. What did they hit? The resonance. The resonance. Yes. And the bridge just collapsed. The Colmenaros Bridge, that, yes. Yeah. And when you see the video of that, it's just horrifying it's to see, like, the amplitude of that motion. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like... And it's it's metal, but it's bending <laughs> like it's jelly, you know? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was It was crazy, crazy, crazy to see. In engineering, I know that... Um, like the risk factor is quite high. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like in as a doctor, you have people's lives, you know, at risk. So it's pretty risky. But also as an engineer, I know like if you're making a bridge, you're making a building, there's a lot of liability. If anything goes wrong, it's a disaster. Yes. You know what I mean? If it's a bridge. <laughs> cars That's the pressure that. I live with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my my question is, do you I know engineering is a very structured process it's, it's all numbers based is it is there space for opinions in that if like you're doing like some calculations whatever uh could i look at this calculation and get a different perspective on maybe how this we should do this or this is the number these this is what it's saying this is the way it has to be done. There is a matter of opinion, but okay. usually when there is, we just go with the more conservative methods. So, for example, um, in Dubai, and this is true in a lot of other places, when you design certain buildings, so any building over 120 meters high, so about 30 or 35 stories or more, your work does have to be checked by an independent third-party engineer. So there's an entire different entity, a company that checks your work, checks all your drawings, all your calculations, just to make sure that everything is okay. And sometimes we do get into a difference of opinion where they're like, I don't believe these assumptions are correct or I don't believe these parameters are correct. And usually what we would do, I mean, you try to argue your point of view, but usually when I see an opposing point of view that kind of makes sense as well, then we go with the more conservative method. So we would calculate it both ways and whichever one gives a more conservative answer, this is the answer we'll take. Okay, yeah. So, so better to be safe than sorry. Exactly, guess, right? exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. usually not worth it unless something is like outright wrong and then, you know, you do your research yeah. and you have a reference that says, <laughs> no, the American Society of Civil Engineers yeah. disagrees with this. But otherwise, yes, usually otherwise. we would uh, we would calculate it multiple ways and then just go with the more conservative. Okay, that makes I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. You know, why take that? Why... Is there a problem like, OK, you said there can be differing, <clears throat> differing opinions and you'll typically take the more conservative method. From a I guess from a cost perspective, mm -hmm. is there a is there a, um, a reason for me not to go with the conservative method because it's probably going to incur more costs? So is that like the point? Like is, if I'm a firm and you're you have a different point of view, this third party. 
I know, okay, we'll go with the conservative method, but this might increase the value of yeah. this project by so like it two, does. two million, three it million. It does. It does increase the cost. So that is, that, is that where some tension like built like, um, can happen? Because I can imagine it would be. Not with us, with the people who do the costing. So we yeah. try to stay out of that. So usually when someone okay. would come to me and say, how much of an increase in cost is that? I'd say, this is not my job. I don't have to worry about this because you shouldn't have to put that as a consideration if you have two options that are equally good then we would evaluate the cost but if it comes between something that we're not sure about and we could make it a little safer usually we say this is not my problem this is what needs to be done and then someone because if you there is a conflict of interest then right exactly, because yeah. you want the client to come back to you so you always want to be you know giving him the cheapest possible solution but mm. at the same time sometimes the cheapest possible solution could carry some risk with it which you don't want to take yeah exactly that's really interesting though. <laughs> um, could you, so I, I know you say like, oh, it's not my, not my department, <laughs> whatever, but based on what needs to be done, could, I'm sure, do you have like an understanding in your mind, like yeah, a ballpark? I like I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I know, do these calculations. I know how much it's going to like, cost. I know, I know a ton of steel is about 4,000 dirhams <laughs> these days. So like we do these calculations. Sometimes, you know, we see whether it's worth an argument or not. Like sometimes, okay. you know, if the cost, if it's, Point oh one percent of the cost of the project. We're like, you know what? Everyone sleeps better at night knowing that this is done. So let's add that cost. But sometimes when it is a big cost, sometimes it is worth spending more time on. Yeah. That we're like, can we find more references? Because if method A says this and method B says this, but then you have to add five million in cost, is mm. it worth doing research to see which method is it's, more it's worth correct? it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. That's really, really interesting. I never even knew. I never even knew that. I never knew that there was like opposing view there can be opposing yeah, views, yeah, yeah. You know we, I mean? we get that a lot even yeah, from other very, civil engineers like really? because you know the company i work in for example even the people doing the costing even the people doing the uh, business development are all civil engineers mm. and then when we get into a difference of opinion they're like well who's right i'm like uh, there is no technical right answer it could go either way and they're like but how is there no right answer you know this should be factual Fact. it's exactly, like exactly right is it a or is it b and i'm like well it could go either way and the the answer is, the true answer is there probably is a correct answer, but you would have to do research to verify that. Okay. And sometimes the research just hasn't caught up. So okay. like maybe you could okay. do an experiment where you do A and B and then you check which one is actually closer to the truth, but you just don't have the time and resources to yeah. do that. And also the longer, if I'm not mistaken, the more time a project takes, the more cost there. The like the, we we don't have the, the option. Of the we don't have the option of taking more time well, to do you it. You have yeah, yeah. you have a deadline, and that's it. And you lose the it. project if you don't deliver it by that time frame. Damn. And is it very? Is it a? I I don't know the field here. Mm -hmm. Um. So my younger brother is he's an architectural engineer as well. Oh, okay. Cool. So you know he did a bit of civil, and but he likes more design and kind mm. of stuff. Kind of, a little bit like you, but in a different way. Um, is it a competitive field here? Like. Because Dubai is nonstop building, right? Mm -hmm. They're always building something, you know. Any The rule here seems to be is like, oh, there's like a one meter of land. <laughs> we have to build something. We should put like a bakala there or something or a mall. Whatever. Let's make use of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah we have to make use of it. Um, I can imagine here is a pretty, comp like a pretty competitive like It is space, a competitive you know, to like market. To yeah. win projects mm -hmm. and do them successfully and all that stuff. 
So it is a very competitive market and it is getting more and more competitive because, you know, there are more companies in the market. But also, um, for example, what people were getting used to in the boom of 2006 and 2007 Mm. is that you could design things. I mean, we look at it sometimes now and we're like, wow, how did people accept this? Because time was very valuable at the time. You could over design by 5%, 10% and people didn't care if you could deliver earlier. And now, you know, you have people checking your work, like even the clients have structural engineers who are double checking your work, making sure you're not going over budget. And then if you're even, you know, 1% over budget, they're like, oh, wait, wait, I think we can have some savings here so no one's willing to accept that anymore Mm. so it does get competitive in that aspect that you want to deliver at the least cost just so someone else doesn't swoop in and say i can do this i can value engineer this project and you know give you something better so as an engineering firm what makes me stand out what and what do i mean by that is let's say there's a there's a project there's a project coming up Mm -hmm. I'm an engineering firm, you're an engineering firm, and we're both like tendering for this project. What is it about, what makes an engineering firm like, yo, let's go, these guys are like the known guys or this. And my question is, if they are, why? Like, okay. what? what is it? Like, so price definitely plays a, a role there. So how much you're charging for the design of the project. But setting that aside, let's say for two companies, they're offering similar prices. Now everyone kind of knows in the market what kind of price you should aim for. So, you know, everyone's giving similar prices. So I think what distinguishes a company would be, first of all, the quality of the design. So when we're talking about architectural design, Architectural design is kind of uh, subjective. Mm-hmm. And so what the client might like is different depending on who the client is. Yeah. But when it comes to structural design, what distinguishes a good structural design is, I mean, hopefully having no history of failures, <laughs> that helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But then the speed at which you can do it and the flexibility. Right now in the market, the biggest thing is flexibility because clients have changes all the time. You know, like a developer will launch a project and then they'll realize halfway through the design that actually they the three bedrooms are doing better than the two bedrooms. So now they want to change the entire building to three bedrooms because their marketing team is giving them that that feedback, the sales and the marketing. Mm. And so then all of a sudden you have two additional floors on your building because they want to maximize the number of three bedroom apartments. So you kind of have to have this flexibility of saying, yes, we can still deliver on on time and incorporate this change as we go along. Yeah. And if you don't have that, then clients don't want to work with you again because they're like, I don't want to have to decide on day one what I need because I could change my mind in a month or two and these days developers are notorious for doing this you know you feel like you reach to the very last step and then they're like well wait a minute I kind of wanted to add two more floors and you're like well okay let's go back to the beginning so that kind of flexibility goes a long way with uh, with developers I think that's very interesting because at, like if you're building a building you're a developer mm-hmm. or whatever like you're an, you're an engineer so you understand it's not like like if I want to make a change, it's not like if I'm like changing, like for example, like a social media post. Yeah, I'll change the color here, whatever. Boom, done. Sometimes like, it feels no. like that's what they think. <laughs> that's how they think it works. But like, how do you inco- like how do you incorporate the ability to be flexible in a design? Because a design is there. To, this is how we're gonna build the building. We're gonna yeah. go step by step by step, and this is why we're doing this, and this is why we're doing that. This is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. So how can I? 
incorporate the ability for you to come at like some point and be like, oh, this floor. And okay, let's put like a, a new wall. You here, work longer hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's the short answer to your question. I've been in the office till like six or seven a.m. Sometimes wow. finishing something up. So yeah, basically you just you just have to do that. You just have to do that sometimes. Yeah. Damn. Okay. And you mentioned something. Um, you said like they change their mind halfway through the design. So mm -hmm. is this? I don't know how like buildings even are built or like works. So. I'm guessing first you make the design. Mm -hmm. We both agree on the design. Yes. And then you move through the design in like stages. Is yes. that how you build that? That's how you like build, start building the building. Yeah. So okay. basically you usually the client comes in with a design brief. Okay. Then there's a concept design stage because we don't even know what you want looks like. So uh, we would give you three or four different options. Usually they're very different because we're trying to capture what you would want to see. So, and sorry to interrupt yeah. you. So, design and concept design are two different things? Uh, yeah. So, what I would call design is usually what comes after concept design. So, it's all part of the design process. Yeah, concept sure. is the first stage. But then when it comes to structural engineer, to me, concept is kind of, I mean, I'm giving feedback, but I'm barely doing any work. Okay. You know, at yeah, this yeah, point, yeah. we're just saying, yeah, you might want to consider a column here. You might want to do this. But there isn't a lot of work because the design is still very fluid. You know, okay. it's still very open. We could change a lot of things in the beginning. Yeah. So there's a lot of time to fix that later. Mm. Once you're done with the concept, then the client has kind of said, this is what I want. This is what it looks like. These areas look good to me. So you've kind of locked in the architectural parameters. Okay. Okay. At that point, you move on to what we call the schematic design. Okay. At schematic design, now you're starting to really give some details. You're not giving all like the details. The numbers but yes, and like how exactly. Okay, At that gotcha. point, as a structural engineer, I would have to give in column sizes, the wall sizes, you know, approximately how much steel would you need. At this point, they can start looking at a cost figure. Because yeah. we have enough details to kind of see overall. And at this point is when clients decide, okay, do I move on to the final design, what we call the developed design? Or do I go back and say, no, this is way too expensive. Let's go back. Let's rethink the concept from the beginning. Okay. And so usually at any point during this, this design stage, they can say, well, actually, we've been talking to our sales team. And uh, they feel like if we just make the floor plate a bit wider, then it might work a bit better. <laughs> You're like, okay, so I guess we're starting over. Yeah, yeah. How long does this design process typically take average? I know each one's different. Let's say it was yeah. no change. Let's say no changes. Everyone's happy throughout the whole process. So usually for like kind of a, a sped up uh, process, we'd say maybe six to eight weeks for each stage. For each stage? Yes, for each stage. Oh, wow. And this is before you even put one like brick in the ground, like any. At nothing. this point, you haven't done anything. Nothing. In some projects, okay. you can maybe start the foundations like halfway through the design because you know enough information to start that. But most of the time, you would wait until the design is done. Wow. And what and what determines how fast the building gets built? Is it just the, the number of hours being worked on it? You know, like if I worked on it, 10 hours and if, for building like, it or for the for, design for actually like building it oh for the <clears throat> for building it a lot of the time it comes with the cost so okay. you would talk to the contractors they give in their offers and sometimes they would give you an additional offer like well if you're willing to pay another 10 million i can finish it four months ahead of time so they give you the time frame during that usually what determines is the complexity of the design yeah, and how hard, how hard like is this to make? Basically? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 the yeah. height of the building, the amount of concrete that you have, all of mm. this is what determines how fast you can go. And then sometimes, yeah, if you can, if you pay the contractor a little more, then he can hire someone else under him, like a subcontractor. Basically, you increase the number of it's the same number of man hours, but you increase the number of people working, yeah, so you so can reduce in that the time, amount you're of making, time. You're getting more work done in that amount exactly. of time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
wow, that's so interesting, man. Because I've, it's so I've never known these things. It's so funny talking about it because yeah. you know it's like when you're working in this field, you're like talking about this stuff all the time that yeah. like it never crosses your mind to like, you know, talk about it in any other terms. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm using more technical terms than I'm supposed to, but it's just that, you know, you're so used to talking about it all the time. It seems so obvious. Like it doesn't seem like something you'd want to explain to anyone. Yeah. You're literally talking to a wall right now. Like <laughs> I'm learning about all these things. I know nothing. That's why I keep asking questions. Like, Oh, really? Is that how this how you build it? Okay, cool. Um, I wanted to uh, come back to the the PhD just for mm-hmm. just for a sec. Um, what I'm trying to understand. So a P, your PhD took you five years. Five years, including the masters. Five years so including it was, masters. Yeah, two okay. years for the masters, and then three okay. more years for the PhD. Uh, how was? How, could you tell us about like that experience, like mm-hmm. those five years? I know you weren't. I remember you told me you weren't planning to do one. You were doing mm-hmm. your masters, and then I think in your first year or second year, you yeah. got. Your professor suggested, yo, by the way, maybe you should check this out, like continue this further. And my question is like now when you reflect back, because that's a lot of like it's a lot of work, <laughs> it's five years of your life. It's yeah. not a little bit of time. Yeah, mashallah, it's not a small thing at all. Mm-hmm. So what was I'm curious. So when I got out of uni, for example, I just wanted to work, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to like get Couldn't it. Wait to get yeah, out just get it. into that world. Me personally, I, I don't like, I'm not a studying guy. I just don't like it. I mm-hmm. would prefer to like work and get like that experience. And for example, get a master's or do yeah. an MBA or something, but that's just my personal preference. So tell us about what was that experience? Like what made you decide? Like, cause you said typically you do structural engineering, you don't mm-hmm. have enough of a technical background to start designing buildings so you wanted to do your masters so after Mm -hmm. your masters in your head i'm guessing you wanted to the plan was masters work yes right and then you decided like what made you decide to go to continue like a phd instead of Mm. working because i think that's really interesting it's funny because i feel like when you look at these decisions you assume that people put so much thought into them that there was this entire process Mm and and it's actually i think a lot of the time you make a lot of these big decisions kind of Um, based on how you feel in the moment, you know, if you put yourself back in that. So what happened is that I started out my master's and I absolutely hated being away from home. I hated how difficult it seemed. And, you know, I was surrounded by these people who had graduated from MIT and like all these really good schools. And I was like, what am I doing here? (laughs) And it was really hard because it was like, even though I think we grow up here with a lot of like American pop culture and we get the references and everything, you you still get there and you do feel like an outsider. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there were a lot of people who had lived in the U.S. before most of them had actually there were some international students so those were like kind of my base friend group in the beginning because i was like yeah, we're yeah. all we're all foreigners actually there there weren't a lot of arabs around but a lot of like european students and chinese students so mm-hmm. it was kind of easier to connect on the on the aspect of like we're all foreigners you yeah, know we yeah, all yeah. don't know how this works we don't know you know how to get a new phone and the fact that you can't get a new sim card without a phone you need a contract like why do you need a contract you know so just you know connecting on these aspects but I still I didn't feel like I belong there it took me a really long time to kind of warm up to the place and I think a lot of it is resistance you get stubborn you're just like I don't belong here I don't want to be doing this mm. and I think my first semester was was horrible I came back and like I was really trying hard not to give anyone the impression that I didn't want to go back because yeah. because it's not something you need to do a lot of people would just be like well then just drop out you don't have to do this you know you have the option of staying here and so I went back there and I think 
eventually like maybe a month after I got back no it must have been longer than that because I think when the weather started to warm up so another thing that was really yes, depressing so there was the winter yeah, yeah. it was like long. It, the They're first long snow was before Halloween like we're talking wow, <laughs> we're talking like I think it was 21st or 22nd of October oh, and that wow. was my first time seeing snow so it was exciting it was the first snow but then it didn't stop for six yeah, months yeah. You know? it gets you're, old just fast. Like, you're just like okay I mean I assumed for some reason because over here like February is when it starts to start to kind Heating of warm up, up again, up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i expected that and then february was apparently the coldest month of the year yeah <laughs> and then march it was still snowing and then like halfway through april like what is going on but by that point i had made enough friends i was feeling Close, more confident yeah. in my classes i was doing better so i just started enjoying it more and at that point is when i had started doing research as well so your first semester you don't do any research but second semester you dabble into it a little so i was working with my advisor and i i was really excited with this like new project and he had made this joke so he told me what the project was and he said this is what we're gonna do and then i was like okay when do we have to finish this why because he kind of presented the overall thing and then he said we have two months And I just took that seriously. Like I went home and I started working and I made all this progress. And a month later, I was presenting it to him. I was like maybe 70% done by that point. And then he just looked at me and he was like, this was supposed to be your master's project. Oh, like, wow. That was a joke. I was okay. like, okay, I didn't get that joke. <laughs> okay, you know? okay. It was like, this was supposed to take us a year. But yeah. he said, you seem to really be enjoying research. So I wanted to talk to you about the fact that maybe you want to do a PhD, you know. A PhD is like 90% research. You only have to do a couple more courses to fulfill the requirements. So there are certain requirements that are a little different between the master's and PhD. So there were like two more courses I would have needed to take. But okay. aside from that, it would all be research. Okay. And so when you were talking about like not wanting to do any more school after yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I think that was true in my master's. Like towards the end, I was just done with exams and assignments yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and all of that stuff. Yeah. But then the PhD feels more like a job. I mean, first of all, you are getting paid to do it. You are on you get, like, oh, yeah, you, you get well, paid to do research usually. So in the U.S., oh, PhD no programs I, I are mostly paid. Are all are uh, most PhD um, programs typically in paid? The, so Princeton is all paid for grad school. Masters and PhDs all paid, except wow. I think the Master of Finance is the only program that's not paid. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So okay, in the that U- gives you okay, fine, yeah, but that gives a little bit more of an exactly. like incentive for so sure. So in the okay. sciences in general in the U.S., because you're doing research, so the research you do gets published, and then you're that is them under technically the yeah, too, exactly. Right? So yeah. you're doing work for the university technically, and you also do some teaching assistantship. Okay. So you're also okay. helping out with that. So you get yeah. paid for that or for doing research. So then thinking about it from that aspect, I was like, I mean, it is your first experience working, but you are setting the hours, which is kind of nice. Most advisors are kind of flexible yeah, yeah, yeah. about when you come in and when you go. And, you know, it was my first experience kind of working from home whenever you wanted to. So it was kind of nice in that aspect that you are working, but you're not fully committed. So you're not coming in at like, you know, 8 a.m. every day. I was trying to do that for the same for the most part, just because that kind of schedule works for me. But if there was a day where you had a doctor's appointment or something else to do, you could do that. And then in terms of your progress, I mean, you're not as tied to deadlines as you are at a job, just because you do have, for example, conference deadlines and journal paper deadlines but that's kind of up to you you pick which conferences you want to go to you pick which papers you want to publish which journals you want to publish in so you do have an overall time frame so you kind of want to publish a paper maybe every year but then we're talking about an entire year where you could be doing that right yeah yeah versus you know at work now for example 
your boss just comes to you and says, we have a submission in six weeks. You can't be like, well, I'll see if I can fit that into my schedule, you know? So it was more flexible in that aspect. So when I thought about it in the beginning, I was just like, oh my gosh, three more years, you know, like I just couldn't see myself doing that. But then as I started to think about it more, I was like, what else would I be doing with my time? I'd be working and I can do that after I graduate. So it's not a missed opportunity. I was for the most part, financially independent because I was getting paid. So there was really no harm in doing it except the missed opportunity of working, which Mm. I just, now I'm glad I was thinking about it in that way because I feel like in our 20s, we really get hung up, especially early 20s and like wanting to do things very quickly. Like you want to graduate as soon as possible. You want to get your first job as soon as possible. And it's like when you think about it, if you take a year or two more to do it, it really doesn't change anything. I mean, there is very minimal... um, kind of disadvantage to doing that, to taking longer to do things. And I don't know, I feel like my mentality was always like, do it as quickly as you can. And I'm glad that I didn't do that with a PhD because I thought about it, I was like, give me like a month to think about it. I actually ended up taking the entire summer, I think, to think about it because you, you need to apply the following fall. And I talked to a few people and I think the best advice I got was from my undergrad advisor at ED. I talked to him about this and I said, my reasoning for not wanting to do it is I don't know why I would do it. Like, what would I do with that degree? That's, that's fair, though. I wasn't planning on like going down the academic route. I wasn't Mm -hmm. planning on teaching. I wasn't planning on doing research like full time. And he said, you don't have to have a reason to do it. I mean, if you're just enjoying it. And he he said he said one statement that kind of caught me off guard. But I was like, that is actually a good point. He said, you're making all these plans for the future. But then there is this saying in Arabic that says, يُخَطَّطُونَ وَتَضْحَكِ الْأَقْدَارِ Mm-hmm. Meaning you're making all these plans, but fate is laughing like, you know, yeah, you, yeah. you have no idea yeah, what's yeah, coming, nice right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have no idea what's coming. And I was like, that is true. I mean, I'm only, I was 22 at that point. It's like, I'm only oh, 22. Still I, okay, I yeah. still have a lot of time to do things, so yeah. why not? And yeah, so I just ended up applying for the PhD program. At that point, I didn't consider any other programs. I was like, I love being here. I don't want to put myself through the misery of like discovering a new place again. And it was, it was a great choice, I think. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. That's really, thank you for sharing that story, by the way. Yeah. It's really, because I, I wanted to hear like what, like that process, like what were you thinking? Why did you make like this decision? How was it doing, you know, a PhD? Because I know, again, nothing. I didn't even know you get paid until now. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I don't think it's true everywhere. I think it's true. It's more common in the U.S., especially okay. for the sciences where okay. you do research. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, I, I didn't even know that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that. Uh, like you said, I think you made a good point. When we are, when we were younger, you feel like you, everything has to be done now. Like mm-hmm. you feel like there's like a deadline coming for like what you want in your life, like tomorrow or yeah. whatever. Until you hit thirty, and then you're uh, like, hmm, there's yeah. still a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, by the way. It's so true. Honestly, after I turned um, like my late twenties, and then after I turned thirty, I'll be thirty-two this year. I can't believe it. Um, you. You look at things differently. You're not in as much of a rush. And mm-hmm. like looking back, I think if we both reflect on our life, maybe certain things we did took longer for us to get to certain stages. But yeah, knock on <laughs> plastic, wood, whatever you want. Alhamdulillah, you know, we're both, you know, at least happy now with where we are. And we didn't get there in like one year, two years. Exactly. Things happened and it took a bit longer maybe. But, you know, here you are. So I think that's really, really good advice. What would you say to... Okay, you might have some bias here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what you say. So let's say I came to you for advice. I'm like, I'm considering doing a PhD. I'm doing my master's. I'm going to finish it. And I'm deciding, do I do a PhD or do I work? Because what I've, at least this is my perspective. 
when I was first starting to work, every company, and it's still true today, will tell you this. Uh, we need you to have experience. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I need you <laughs> to, ha to get experience so I can have it. You know, so it doesn't, it's like you need experience to, have, to get experience, which made no sense to me. And I think um, then when I started working and the experiences I had, whatever, and I finally got what that, you know, that term means, you know, mm -hmm. like experience. Like why do so many, why do people look for it? Why is it important? Because you need that like time to like learn and go through things. For and you sure, know what yeah. I mean? Because then you can be in a position to maybe do this job successfully. Correct. If you haven't gone through certain things, you might not be able to handle it. Not mm -hmm. because you can't, you just haven't done it before. So I think experience is priceless. You know what I mean? No matter what experience you did, it's still like what you've done is still mm -hmm. good. So what would you say? I know you did went down the academic route. I went down the experience route, like yeah. the, the work route. So what would like now reflecting back, if you're like balancing it out, what would you say? What would you, what do you think? I would say that I think uh, academics or like work in academia kind of gets a bad rap because the work I did in my PhD, I was still getting experience, maybe not in this specific field, yeah. but I do feel mm. like you accumulate the skill set mm. that you would have accumulated at work similarly as well. Because okay. you are working on deadlines, you are managing your own time, you are working on technical tasks usually. Maybe not exactly the tasks you would be doing at work. But for example, I found that I was able to pick up certain things quicker than I would have been able to as an undergrad, right? I mean, coming in. So my year of experience after the PhD is not the same as my year of experience would have been at 21 coming from Absolutely, yeah, of course. And even in terms of being like client facing, in terms of being able to talk to people, the confidence you have as you get more experience getting older. So when I started working, I didn't feel like I didn't have experience. You felt like I felt like I just joined a new company, but I, I okay. did have some experience with work. Okay. So I don't think you graduate with like zero experience, but I think yes. it also depends a lot on your field. I think there are certain fields where your degree or a PhD might not have any value at all. And mm. at that point, you might feel like you've wasted your time. Yeah. And there are other fields, for example, I don't feel like it has direct um, consequences could, yeah. on my work. I don't yeah. think it. It directly relates to what I do right now. But I do feel like I did acquire skills that like I do have some knowledge in certain areas that sometimes comes up randomly. You know, there would be that, a discussion. I'd useful, be like, oh, yeah. I know this one thing because <laughs> yeah. I remember reading it some years ago. So it, because it is in the same field, it is relevant to a certain extent. But it's not like the research that I was doing is the work that I'm doing today. So it's not yeah. as relevant as if I have, would have pursued like an academic kind of job. Yeah, like like you said, I think you made a good point. It's it's useful, I think, doing what you did, the amount of research and knowledge you have to like mm -hmm. accumulate going through that experience, maybe, like I said, doesn't directly impact like your day-to-day -day of what, yeah. you know, Hiba, you look at what I'm doing now, but there are certain things that might come up when you're looking like a design or whatever that if you haven't done what you've done and done the research, whatever, you will, you'd never see it or you'd yeah. never do it. Yeah, yeah. Even your approach to like um, looking up something new, I feel mm. like I don't shy away from that just yeah. because I've done it so many times. Yeah. But the first time I was doing that in my master's or PhD, it was like, how do you do something new and also make sure it's still correct? Because you're doing it, it hasn't been done before. Exactly. So you don't Sorry. know that it's <laughs> yeah. correct. So you kind of have to design this little experiment for yourself to make sure that, for example, the code I'm writing is giving the results it's supposed to give because mm. no one else has written this code and it doesn't exist online and I can't verify it in any way. And so it does come 
come in handy when you're trying to do something new, for example, at a project now. Yeah. And you're like, okay, there is no clear guidance on how to do this, but I know how to design an experiment, you know, a little to, thought experiment yeah. to verify whether I'm, what I'm doing is correct or not. So yeah. it is helpful in these little ways, but it's more like, I would say, maybe more soft skills than, than exact <clears throat> technical skills. Yeah, yeah. And that mm. makes a lot, like, like you said, you've gone, you've like decided writing papers like, defend like present like your thesis mm -hmm. you have to like present it and like it, you have to be challenged on it and yeah. that's like just being in like a meeting like a sales meeting and i'm trying you're a client and i'm trying to get you convince you like yeah. this works this is good my phd this and is right this is what i do every time yeah. i design a building now <laughs> then i have to convince a bunch of people that it's safe yeah exactly um i'm curious so you, f you said that when you because uh, i was uh i was curious about how you felt when you finished your phd and mm -hmm. joined your first job so now how long you've been working now uh, five years. Five now, years. Okay. okay, so we're five years down the line since mm -hmm. you did your PhD. You've been working now for five years. What have you learned by in the past five years through working that you never you would have never been able to learn at your PhD? So I'm not going to get into like the technical yeah, things. Yeah. Definitely, there yeah. are technical things sure, that sure. I learned that I didn't know about before. But I think politics is not something uh, I had ever yes. encountered yeah. in academia. <laughs> it wasn't something that was like. Yeah. I don't know, maybe in other places you might encounter it, but work politics yeah. is not something I had seen ever before. Okay. And so just how to like sidestep certain arguments, how to like, you know, get on good terms with the client, how to do these things that I wasn't used to doing. So I think people skills is definitely like the number one thing, which you wouldn't expect in an engineering job, but I guess humans are social creatures. <laughs> and so it's going to come up in any kind of setting. But I think academia yeah. is more of a lonely experience where it's just you and your computer. At mm. most, it's like... Your advisor, maybe one more collaborator, but that's yeah. it. There aren't too many stakeholders. Yes, And exactly. even when there are, they're kind of behind the screen because when you submit a paper to be reviewed, for example, a reviewer has to review it, has to give you comments on it, but you never face them. It's mm. kind of behind the screen. So you submit it. They, It's usually anonymous to the process. So you submit it. They review it. <laughs> it comes back. You have no idea who they are. They don't know who you are. Yeah. So like, it's not really something <laughs> you ever have to face. And here it's like, you have to sit there, listen to someone, criticize the work you've done and maintain your cool because you have to be able to answer. You mm -hmm. have to be able to convince them. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's a, if that's the learning you have, like politics. <laughs> you said politics Seems like you have like, some experience with that. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I, so I've worked at, I worked in, um, I've worked in corporate and mm -hmm. I've worked in startups. Now mm -hmm. there's plus and minuses on both sides. Corporate is obviously more structured, established, been there for a while, whatever. Um, maybe might pay you better. Depends, mm -hmm. depends. Some startups actually pay quite well. Um, but politics, like my <laughs> first, like that corporate job was just, politics and hierarchy and like if a vp Bureaucracy yeah if a vp comes in everyone has to be like oh my god this vp <laughs> comes in i'm like guys it's just a, it's just, it's a, just guy. a guy it's just a guy the only thing okay he's an expert in this fine the only difference between this guy and like me right now is he's like 30 years older than me so he's done 30 years more shit than i have that's it <laughs> that's and, it and respect you not not taking away but i shouldn't have to be like oh wow yeah it's only here, 30 you know? years it's only like as yeah, old yeah. as we are it's just it's my age that's it. <laughs> no big but deal. it's fine um, so I realized I'm like, I can't work in that environment. It's just not mm -hmm. me. I'm not the kind of person that, you know, you know, like dress like this, wear this. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, be yourself, but in this box, <laughs> you see this box, how you Fit have yourself to speak, somehow if, into yeah, this get box. in there. And I'm like, no, I didn't like that. Um, so corporate is not my, not my vibe. Loved startups. Mm -hmm. Definitely much more relaxed, much more my type of culture. Okay. As well. But obviously 
it's a startup and it's a lot riskier a lot too. riskier job security is not guaranteed and you know one company we got like a big investment they hired like a lot of people but mm-hmm. then like six months down the line they realized like yo we hired like a lot of people and our business is not we haven't generated what we need to generate to mm. maintain all these guys so it's 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 a roller coaster you never know you you really never know what's going to happen but i think when you said politics i'm like god yes. damn I'm like, yeah i feel, <laughs> I feel I, that <laughs> yeah i feel that big time i know how it feels i'm curious in as an engineer mm-hmm. this is one thing about engineering that um i that i feel bad about because it's it's a very difficult field it's not easy and mm-hmm. i don't and i anyone who's an engineer i look at them i'm like respect because <laughs> i couldn't do it you did it so respect okay and deservedly so um but from a when i'm comparing it for example to like a doctor or like mm-hmm. a lawyer from a financial perspective mm-hmm. i feel like the amount of work that's been put in and the financial return especially for the, the beginning to middle part of your mm-hmm. career is not the like not the best you know you yeah. start on site you have you know the pay isn't you know isn't great so what are your like thoughts about that you know what i mean because i feel I, i feel it's a shame it you, is a you shame. put in so much work you should be you should you deserve, to recently, getting mu- you deserve to be getting much more than that yeah, yeah i was recently talking to a friend about this and i think the hardest part for me to accept was that you don't get paid in an industry based on how important it is or how difficult the job is i always felt like if you did a more difficult job then you should be getting paid more exactly but that it's would make not sense, like that right? because it's also dependent on how many people are willing to do that job how many people are capable of doing that job and also how much money does this entire industry generate because yeah. i'm not even going to talk about doctors or lawyers i'm going to talk about for example entertainment and sports yeah yeah and you see these people i'm not talking i'm not saying their jobs are easier i'm just saying that there isn't anyone else who can do it as well as they can right so then you get these people getting paid like crazy amounts of money yeah. just purely based on like you know their talent i'm sure they do a lot of training but then it doesn't seem to like translate over to like other industries mm-hmm. and it's because there's just that much money in that industry compared to like you know no one's watching me sitting there you know <laughs> doing my <laughs> making my structural models <laughs> not as entertaining to watch yeah yeah and so i think part of it is uh, i mean obviously i'm not gonna sit here and tell you we shouldn't be motivated by money um, and you know it should be about you know the yeah, purely yes. the passion and how also, much you enjoy yeah, it but, but it's it also is. be real about money is important I'm yeah, sorry. yeah let's be real you know, about right? it yeah, yeah that's not bullshit. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. i don't think it's fair how much engineers get paid yeah. compared to like the work they put in yeah, for sure. but i also think it's like harder in this part of the world because i do feel like because of this idea that everyone wants to be an engineer, everyone should be an engineer, I think Mm. there are way more engineers than the industry can even handle. And so you get a lot more people who are willing to do the job for way less. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of drives the uh, salaries even lower. Yeah. Um, in terms of how I feel about it, I, I try not to think about it, honestly. <laughs> I try to fair, be yeah, like, fair. you know what, maybe you could make more being an investment banker, but I yeah. don't want to be an investment banker. Yeah. I want to be an engineer. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think not all jobs pay fairly let's say but at least if you get something else out of it like if you get to do something you enjoy you get to drive by a building and say i designed that which i do all the time for like the two buildings that i drive by (laughs) i think if that gives you satisfaction then maybe that kind of makes up for i mean we're still talking i mean you're making good enough for a living it's just yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe not um 
it doesn't feel like it's on par with the amount of effort you're putting in. Yeah, exactly. Like compared to uh, like what a like I'm talking about the be- like sp- yeah. the beginning to middle because I know because my I've learned from my like my dad. Mm-hmm. He's like, you start making good money in engineering, but like after like way later, ten <laughs> years or whatever, you know, like way later. But then the hours the also get better, so I think yeah, it's all exactly. together. It's true of a lot of industries yeah. too. Like you look at management yeah, yeah. consultants; they put in like crazy hours of work. Yeah. They're getting paid well, but not as well as like a partner, right? Yeah. So like once like you're ten years in, you're a partner, you can set your hours, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> so what does career for for like in your case, mm-hmm. for example, what does career progression for engineering look like? So I know you start mm-hmm. like on site. That's like the beginning. Usually, you start yeah. on site. That's like you know, you're in the trenches, you know, you, <laughs> you got to learn, you need to study this, you got to be on site, you got to look at that beam, you got to make sure everything's good. Like, that's where you start. So what's like the, the like, the the ceiling, like the best in the highest position you could be in an engine, in the field so of engineering? There are two kind of uh, parallel paths when you okay. get into engineering. For example, I'm talking here about civil engineering. Yeah. You're either a site engineer or you're a structural engineer like I am. Yeah. So as a structural engineer, you don't start out on site. So as a structural engineer, you're the one in the office making the plans. So that goes to the site. And then the site engineer is the one who supervises to make sure that what I put on the plans is actually being done on site. So it's not the same person doing both. Even though we try to have some overlap, I try to go on site sometimes, make sure that, you know, it's still uh, we're still all on the same page, but it's usually two separate paths. So if you start, let's start with what you were talking about. If we start out on site, you start as a civil engineer on site called usually a site inspector. So there are two parts to this. You're either a contractor or you're a consultant as a consultant, you're supervising the work of the contractor, but either way you're on site. And then as you move up the ranks, you move into more managerial positions of still the same sites. So you're still, maybe you're not working on one site anymore, you're overseeing two or three sites. But you're still kind of involved in the construction operation itself. You're not as involved in the Mm -hmm. design aspect of it. Or if you're in the design aspect like I am, instead of designing one project, you're designing multiple projects. Maybe you're working on bigger projects. Like I started out working on smaller buildings. Now I am qualified to work on a tower, for example. Mm. But then this is a completely separate path. Yeah. And but they are parallel in the sense that you do move up the ranks working on like bigger projects and then overseeing other people working on projects. The highest position you can get to depends on which kind of um, company you work for. So you're either working for a contractor or a consultant or as a client, like a developer. Yeah. And in all cases, I think as a VP is what they would call them, like a vice president of uh construction is probably what you're aiming to go for what you're aiming okay, for interesting so there are different like different paths depending on where your expertise lie like in to, to start yeah, off right? yeah, okay exactly so you can be a structural engineer who is either on site supervising the work or you can be a structural engineer doing the design or you can be a structural engineer for a developer where you're reviewing the work of the designers to make sure that everything is okay gotcha okay that's really interesting. That I didn't know there was different paths. I, I thought, you know, in civil especially, because in my the only ones I know, you know, I know <laughs> yeah, it's like, my dad started off yeah, on site, site too. Everyone, so I just hear site, 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 site. So I'm like, okay, that's where you start, and then I don't know, you know, uh, where you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious. So I know you uh, wanted to take a bit of a detour for a second. Mm-hmm. I know you uh, taught at AUD for your actually. I did, yes. As a teacher. Now I'm curious. First of all. Okay, I have many questions, but <laughs> let's start with one. First of all, how was that experience for you? 
Okay, so that was again an unplanned experience. So I was still in uh, in touch with my professors from AUD. We were on good terms. And then one day I get a call from the Dean of Engineering. This was in August. So just as a background, I was still in touch with them because I was doing an internship program through my company. So okay. AUD requires students, civil engineering students, I think all engineering students actually, to do an internship. Like what a they co-op call professional, kind of thing. Yes, yeah. a professional experience. Yeah. And so they usually have a hard time placing them in companies just because a lot of companies don't answer or just don't provide their replies. So they try to place them through their connections. Okay. So they've developed kind of a partnership with a few companies through people they know where they would bring in the students and they would train them. And so I had something set up like that with AUD where we would bring in two or three students every summer and we would supervise them working in the office and then working on sites. So I was working with a couple of people on sites to like make sure that they were placing them and giving them that experience. And so as I was doing this over the summer, I get a call from the Dean of Engineering and I thought it was just, you know, to check up on the students. I know I have to submit a couple of reports. Then he said, how would you like to teach at AUD? And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's not <laughs> okay. something I had considered. Okay. But this was a time in 2019 that I wasn't as busy with work. This was okay. like towards the end. So I wasn't working till 6 a.m. in the office. Yeah. So I was like, you know what, this opportunity kind of came to me. I think it would be good. And they wanted someone. So they were looking for someone to teach a course who had relevant experience like working hands-on and so they wanted me to bring in that experience to the class so I was like oh this is so exciting yeah sure why not and then I hung up the phone and I was like oh my gosh I have so much to prepare (laughs) (laughs) I have so much to do I've never done this before I've been a teaching assistant but it's different than when you're setting your own syllabus you have to like did you have to create the curriculum yourself so you pretty much have to, but then because it's a well-established course at the EUD, I could use the materials that was Okay, it. yeah, fine, yeah. But, but then it was teaching, still, yeah. You're bringing that extra onto it. You have to, right. like, bring yeah, that Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. So um, I started preparing. This was, like, two weeks before the semester started. I started oh, preparing. Wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. this was, like, oh, wow. really late notice. Okay. I started preparing, but it was, like, one of the most exciting things I had done because it made me realize that I really love working with students. Mm. You know, I came in, and it was very exciting. This was, like, September 2019. And it was really exciting just to be in the class. And I had picked my class to be towards the end of the workday so that I could leave work and go to class. And I would go like an hour earlier to prepare. Students would sometimes come in to ask a question. We would talk about things. And it was interesting that students saw me as relatable, maybe because I was younger than the other professors yeah, and yeah. because I had been an AUD student myself. So you, she's like, she gets it. You, you, know, you yeah. get it. You yeah, know, yeah, we yeah, have yeah. like, you know, three different assignments yeah, this yeah. week. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so it was really nice to have these conversations with the students. And I felt like they weren't as uncomfortable asking questions. Okay. How many students were you teaching? So I was teaching 17 students at that point. Wow, that's yeah. not, that's, that's a Yeah, that's it's a the size of a class. That's a it's size. A, you know and I mean? these were juniors and seniors. So oh, <laughs> there was okay. some pressure Lovely. there. Yeah, okay, there, okay. So right. um, the first class, I remember I was like really nervous. Like yeah. I didn't know how to start. I didn't I know what be, to say. And I'd be so scared. <laughs> but then it was just, I don't know how, but the semester flew by, you know, it was yeah. like really fun to do. And it was the kind of thing where it was taking up a lot of time I didn't realize that like one hour of lecture time takes like three or four hours to prepare for between like the prep and the assignments and the grading and all of that so it was taking up a lot of my time that I ended up doing a lot of that work on weekends so like my weekends were like fully booked with that and it was exhausting but I I just 
I loved doing it. Mm. And it was to the point where even if I had a bad day at work, if I had a lecture that day, like it was such a high, like I would leave feeling so good after lecture that it was just like there was nothing else to match it. Mm. And it was like a guaranteed good feeling, you know, whether even even if you look at one student and they get it, you're like, that's it. That gets it. You know, it doesn't matter if my day was going really badly. (laughs) Yeah. So that was really fun to do. But then the second semester kicked in. And at this point, my work picked up, too. Okay. And so I swamped do, at this point. Yeah, so yeah. I was swamped at this point. I was like working. So I was teaching math class from 4.30 to 6 and then doing office hours till 7, which sometimes would drag on to like 7.30 and then driving back to the office, working until like midnight or whatever to finish whatever wow. I needed to do and then going back home. So I was working like insane hours these days. And then the second semester came by and it was also the same kind of rhythm. I was still really busy. And I remember March, it was spring break, March 2020. And I was like, that's it. I need to get out of here. I need a week off. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just need to. And so I planned a trip. I went to Australia and then the COVID restrictions hit. Oh, my God. And I was abroad and I was like, this is the time to come back. (laughs) You know, changed my flights. I came back and then everything was going online. You know, AD changed all classes to be online. Work was online at this point. And I think it gave me some time to kind of like just calm down and like breathe and think about it but it also took a lot away from like the fun of the teaching experience unfortunately being in front of the class being in front of the class because now you're teaching online and you know it's different it's a different feeling you don't see the students you know that feeling I was telling you about like looking at someone being like he gets it I wasn't getting that anymore and then you ask a question you're not sure if they heard you or not you're just like any questions yeah, yeah. and you get no response whatsoever <laughs> you know and then at that point you're like what do I do did you guys hear me do I need yeah. to repeat and there's also that added pressure on the students of like needing to speak up and I found out that a lot of students didn't even have space to like be sitting in front of a computer by themselves in a room you know having the screen having the camera on for me to see them and so that was a difficult experience I think it took away from like the interaction with the students that I really enjoyed at that point it felt like I was just giving a boring lecture it didn't mm, feel like yeah. that at it's all. It's like a webinar. Person. You're just yes, sitting watching exactly. and, um, for an hour and that's it. Yeah, and the yeah. worst part is that because we had to record the lectures, which I agree with because not everyone could attend at the same time. Sure. But at the same time, it kind of gives you this feeling that the students are not listening because they can listen anytime. They don't yeah. need to listen right now. Exactly, right? Yeah. And so that kind of made you feel like you're just going through the motions. You do that for an hour. And I talked mm. to a couple of professors. They were all struggling with the same thing. But at the end of that semester, I was just like, I can't do this again. Like, I I also had the advantage of knowing the students at that point because I had taught them for half the semester in person and then we moved on online. I don't know how you would do it not ever having met the students. Just virtually like that? Yeah, and they did that. I mean, for a year afterwards, that's what they were doing. And I just couldn't imagine not even knowing what they look like, not even knowing what they sound like, not knowing these people at all and having to somehow grade their work and, you know, talk to them and... It was a little easier knowing the students because then I could do things like Zoom calls one-on-one with them whenever they required. So I did give it more time than I was doing. So when I was doing it in person, I had one hour hour for office hours and, you know, they could ask whatever questions they want. With this, I kind of had to be more flexible that just let me know. We can set up like one-on-one meetings. I can explain this to you. We can set up a review session for everyone if they would like. I was trying to like help them out as much as possible. 
It sounds like you were being more proactive. You had to be more proactive. I had to. To, to keep, yeah. to like maintain that connection. Yeah, to, to the you know, point yes. where like I just had to put a stop to it at one point because I was trying to be very available. But then, you know, with students and I understand their stress and everything. But at one point, you know, I was online on Microsoft Teams because I was also using it for work. <laughs> and a student called me at like 11.15 p.m. And I was like, this no, is no, where I draw it. the yeah, line. You, know? you can send a message or something, but you can't just audio call me at 11.15 p.m. Yeah, you know, yeah. I understand your exams tomorrow you're freaking out and i understand that tendency but then also we didn't have that option when we were students no. but maybe if we did we would have gone knocking on their doors mm, you know? yeah maybe i definitely would have knocked on some doors for sure you know you're just freaking out the night yeah, before like last like, minute you know, yeah, like, yeah i don't exactly. get this please <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean overall it was a really good experience i yeah. feel like it's something i would do again it definitely added to my experience like it definitely for sure yeah um even technically i think it forced me to go back and review things that i never thought about i thought i knew very well or I hadn't thought about for a while and you know it was interesting to bring that in but even just being able to explain something to someone who just has no idea about it yeah. I think we sometimes forget and we talk about things in terms that are like we all know this or yeah, like yeah. you know as we yeah. all know yeah exactly and it's like yeah. when you're talking to students it's very different and yeah. it's a it's a very different we don't thing. all know we need to like we need to exactly we need to get and the it. things yeah. that you thought you knew they always say like if you really want to know if you understand something try explaining it to someone exactly and yeah. some of these concepts I would try to explain and I'd be like, I have no idea what I'm saying, you know? <laughs> like, it was helpful to go through the lecture like two or three times before actually giving it to students because I'm like, I'm confusing myself right now. I can't yeah. imagine how this would be for them, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's a really interesting, like, experience that you had and mm -hmm. the, timing of <clears throat> the timing of it as well, not just learning how to, you know, be a teacher, you know, for a semester and having that experience, but then learning how to be a teacher like online and yeah. you know, all the zoom calls you had to do and like that transition and so on um with uh, i once heard that <clears throat> if you really want to learn something like teach it because yeah. like when you teach it you learn it twice because yes. i know it but now if i can get you to understand it that means i really really know mm -hmm. it you know what i mean and i had to like look up different ways because maybe i understand it from one perspective but then i had to look up different ways to like explain it just to be like you know maybe someone else would get it if you presented it this way or presented it that way and that was also interesting in addition to that mm -hmm. like something i had never thought about is when you prepare a lecture, I always had to prepare like three or four weeks in advance because I needed to know where the lecture was headed because sometimes yeah, what's like... Yeah, what's the track for that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like three or four lectures later, mm -hmm. you'd have to mention something that you should have mentioned before and maybe you didn't. So I had to like also be ahead with that. And that I hadn't thought about until I started teaching because mm -hmm. it didn't really occur to me that it wasn't just about what you were learning today. It's just like it all adds up to one big thing at the end. But yeah, I think it was uh, very useful for me as well. Not yeah. just for the students. No, I'm, I'm sure it was. For, I think I've always, like, I, I get, I've given, I think, one, like, workshop for, like, one of my clients. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that experience. It was, it, it's not because, like, oh, I want to, I'm the expert, I want to show my life, but to, like, teach someone, to show them, like, guys, like, this is how you do it. And then yeah. when you see, like, they, <clears throat> Sorry. they get it they get it and like they're happy you're like man it feels good it feels so good it feels good. really good it feels really and good. it doesn't get old you know no, that's ever. a weird yeah. thing like I did you're you helping know, someone yeah my yeah. first uh, semester also like when they would come into office hours they're like I don't get this thing and then you explain it to them and they're like oh it makes sense I'm like yes yeah, finally it, you yeah. know so yeah it's like a guaranteed high yeah. <laughs> no exactly 100% I would love to I think at one point maybe for a little bit of time you know just teach mm -hmm. I think not just from a 
like helping someone like that i think from a, on a personal level mm. it's a great like growing opportunity because yeah. you have to kind of like exactly what you just said like i can explain it this way mm-hmm. but i have i need another way to explain it what if like this student doesn't get it this way i have to give it to another one so it forces you to think differently and you're interacting with people and you're trying to teach and you're trying to help them so i'm like i want to help but there's also selfish reasons for yeah, me yeah. That, you know exactly. i want it for me because exactly. i know it'll be very beneficial mm-hmm. um would you ever do it again if you had the time I think I would. You think you I would? would? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a different course, maybe even the same course. I think I would do it again if I had the time. I think what happened, though, is that at that point, I think I bit off more than I could chew. Yeah. I definitely had way yeah. more on my plate than I ever should have. Yeah. And I think that's partially on me because even at work, like I told them that I'd be working part time because I was also teaching. Sure. But then it doesn't really make sense in my kind of industry to talk about. And in a lot of industries, I think about t- talking about working part time because it's not the time. It's the task that you have to deliver. Yes. And I was committing to the same tasks. So when I couldn't get them done within work hours, I was coming in on weekends or working late at night. So yeah. at the end of the day, I was doing my full time job and, and teaching at the same time. Yeah. And I think I. I should have maybe stepped away from some of these opportunities because a project came up and I was like, yes, I still want to be a part of this. Even though maybe at that point I should have said, I have enough on my plate, Mm. you know, I shouldn't. So there are some lessons learned for sure, but teaching is definitely something I'd want to go back to at some point. No, I think, yeah, I think you'd be a great teacher, by the way. Oh, thank you. The way you like (laughs) explain, like we even in today's conversation, the way you'd like explain your points has been very, like it's very Maybe it's a teaching experience, maybe. maybe, No, maybe it is. Ah, thank you. Ah, There's a question I had and you made me remember it now. Okay. (laughs) So you know how um, a lot of companies, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of companies that, and especially maybe in like finance or Mm -hmm. banking or investments, whatever, or consulting or strategy, they're like, they love engineers. Like we want engineers because we like the way, this is what they say, Mm -hmm. the way an engineer thinks. And that statement is actually a thing you know like it's not like just a saying no no no. engineers think a certain way so could you i don't know what that means Mm -hmm. so could you tell me as an engineer when i when they say like the way this is the way that engineers think like what is it that in the way you guys think that is so attractive to a lot of like different industries and so on i think going through engineering yeah gives you um kind of shapes your thinking into a certain kind of logic there has okay. to be a logic where like one leads to two two leads to three okay but also not only logic because i think logic exists in a lot of different fields but i think there is this kind of problem solving um, mentality yes where you walk in and you're like what is the problem and how can we solve it where i think in a lot of other fields you kind of maybe tackle the problem talk about different aspects of it but then you're not like okay where does this lead at the end Mm. and i find myself even interested like i was just telling you that i got into like listening to podcasts and i noticed that the ones i enjoy the most are the ones that tell a story like what is this leading up to you know there's like an investigation and then these were the results of the (laughs) investigation (laughs) maybe the thoughts are like interesting along the way but i need to know where this is headed so there's this kind of like maybe a long-term plan at least, you know, maybe you're not aware of exactly how to solve the problem, but you're trying to take steps towards that. To, to get to that. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and yeah. I think there's also a lot of cynicism that comes with engineering. <laughs> I think you don't trust things. You, you look for evidence. So maybe that also helps in that kind of strategy. We don't work based on like a hunch or I yeah, feel yeah, like this yeah. would work. You kind of need to prove it somehow. So yeah. I think that is usually helpful in like strategy kind of scenarios. Yeah. No, I can. And I think you explained it very well because... You guys, it's a, it's a very, like you said, one leads to two, two mm. leads to four. It's a, not only is it a structured way of thinking, you're used to dealing with problem solving because you're trying mm. to build like a 
damn building. So I'm sure there's <laughs> problems all over the place. Um, but also, like you said, and because you're building a building, you have, you know what the end goal is. Exactly. You know what it's exactly. supposed to look like. You know the design. You know where we're trying to get to. So how it's about crafting the plan and the steps to get there so it would make sense why that is attractive to yeah. a lot of other it's also open-ended even though it seems like the steps are clear it's like one two three mm. but then like you don't always get it in that sequence there are things that are different about every building about yeah, its yeah, geometry yeah. it looks different the materials are different the height is different so mm. like you do encounter new problems like i've been doing this for five years now which isn't very long but you would assume that it's at a good this point of time, though. Five yeah years is not, not little exactly so you would assume that you're encountering the same issues over and over again and maybe some of them are similar but then there are a lot of things that you know i look at and even you know my manager who has 30 years of experience looks at and he's like i've never seen that before oh, that's, that's new, new. Okay. <laughs> that's new. <laughs> no i can imagine I, like it's in in your field it is non-stop like like just different and variety because different sizes different buildings mm-hmm. different co- even different in like stakeholders that you have to deal with. it's all different and per project and a building is not like Oh, I'm dealing with one guy. Yeah, I'm probably yeah. Dealing the with set like of parameters is yeah, completely yeah. It's different. Ridic- every yeah, time, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Wow, that's really, really <laughs> interesting. Uh, Hiba, I just have two more questions for you. Yeah, okay, go ahead. these are questions that I ask all my guests. Okay, mm-hmm. so the first one, if I asked you, either personally, professionally, both, whatever the case might be, if I asked you, what are you most proud of for yourself? What would you say? Mm, most proud of. I mean, this is very predictable, but it's definitely my PhD. Like I still, I have a printed copy and every now and then I always joke with my friends from grad school that, you know, every time I'm feeling down or I feel like, you know, yeah. not doing that well at work, <laughs> I just open it up and I'm like, look at this, look at all these <laughs> equations. You did this, you yeah, know? Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, the graduate school experience is definitely what I'm proudest of because yeah. I also feel like that's something that I did on my own mm. for my own. Like I didn't yeah. have a purpose for it. And it's just like all that discipline was just because of a goal that I I had set for myself it wasn't any external pressure yeah. and just you know feeling like I could do that yeah that that was like I also did it like I was quite young when I applied I was 20 years old when I applied. yeah by the way but, you're very young to be yeah. doing you're 22 doing a PhD that's not yeah no, that's 22 not, when I applied for the PhD 23 yeah. when I started but yeah, yeah I left for the US I was 21 years old when I left so wow. I mean when I look back, I'm like, wow, that was very responsible of you. Like, you know, yeah, there are some no. days now when I can't imagine myself doing that now. Yeah. So I think that experience is what I'm proudest of. No, for sure. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And congrats again, because Thank you. it's something that I know I could never do. It's just not me. <laughs> you I never could. know. You never know. No, no I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like you said, um, what I love about that, that is still the proudest thing for you is the satisfaction and validation you get when you go through something like that mm-hmm. or you achieve something big that you didn't get the help, you built this yourself, you were committed, you got mm-hmm. the goal is the best feeling like ever. So I totally understand like why that would be, and you should be. It's an amazing accomplishment. Thank you. Yep. And for my last question, Hiba, what is the message that you'd like everyone to take home with them today? Um, I think one thing that's interesting that I heard recently is that no matter how boring you think your life is or like how typical and predictable it is, there is something like once you start talking about it, you realize that it's not as predictable as you think. It didn't go in a straight line as you think. And when you start reflecting on these choices, you realize that there is a lot that went into them Mm. that is not very obvious and that these are experiences that other people are having as well. So it's interesting because I was kind of hesitant doing this. You know, we talked about this and I said, Khaled, I have nothing to say 
say like I don't know what I would say on a podcast yeah. and I mean look at this you know we've been talking <laughs> this whole time and yeah I think it's always interesting to like reflect back on your own choices and sure. you know hope that they help someone but I think yeah I think we attach a lot of value to these choices sometimes and I think the biggest choices in my life thus far have happened kind of not by coincidence I did I did pursue them, but at the end of the day, the decision is kind of made in a split second because, yeah. you know, yeah. you're always like one moment away from stepping away and doing something else. Yeah. So I think, you know, um, just if the message would be like, just go with your gut feeling, just, you know, trust your instinct and yeah, go ahead. Find the unpredictability in the predictability. Basically. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Never think that it's boring or like that, you know, yeah. everything you're talking about, everyone has already seen or has already done. Your experience mm-hmm. is always going to be unique. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's a great message and something that we're like when you were saying it, I'm like, oh, that's actually a good that's a really good point. You know, like, I've never I've never thought of it in that way. But like you said, when you take the time to reflect, if I'm reflecting now, mm-hmm. if you reflect now, there's so many. If you asked me, even like we're sitting here right now, if you asked me two years ago before I started this podcast and like oh, in two years, you'll have done this many episodes and whatever, and like, this is the work you'll be doing. I'll be like, ah, get out of here. What, <laughs> yeah. do you, what do you mean? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't even see it, but one, two, three, things happen, whatever. And then like, here one you are. One decision at a time, but there like you, it's really hard to pinpoint like what led you to this moment. Yeah, you, know? you can't, you can't. Yeah. I think it's a combination of so many mm-hmm. little things and experiences you've had that like spark that one decision that gets you to like here Which makes it your unique experience. Exactly, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. Hiba, I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I told you there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I didn't expect you. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've loved this conversation. I, I really, really, really learned so much from you about like, I don't know, like any of this of how engineers think and why and I'm so glad you're this. interested in all of this, honestly. I, I So what I love about my podcast is, so I get this two different, different schools of thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm working with a client, I'm going to be like, go niche. Mm. You have a target audience, like niche, go to that. Yeah. You already have your brand. You have your audience. We want to hit them. Yeah. But me, if I went down that road personally, I think I would lose some the love I have for doing this. Because mm. every episode is a different person. Completely different. Different yeah. topic, different whatever. I don't know if it's good or bad. I think it's great, honestly. I don't know if it's good or bad. I, I love it. Mm. You know, and I love it because of conversations like this because I get to learn I want to before I think about the audience I'm like as me Khaled is this an interesting person do I want to learn about this yes okay that's it that's, that's awesome. enough for me yeah, yeah. yeah um so thank you so much again for coming yeah, I really appreciate you. it uh if anyone wants to reach out to you connect with you work with you give maybe you want to give them some advice I don't know where can they get in touch um LinkedIn LinkedIn and okay. uh, yeah maybe I guess yeah Instagram LinkedIn, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I don't okay. know <laughs> all right perfect um Hiba, thank you so much again for coming yep. on the show. I really appreciate thank it. You. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, please subscribe, follow the podcast at hope.it.helps with two S's. And as always, guys, hope it helps. Peace. <laughs>